One, two, three, four. Pedagogy a go go. Pedagogy go go go. Hello, and welcome to Pedagogy a Go Go, a podcast about college faculty sharing what happens in their classrooms and why. This is Season 3, Episode 1, Pandemic Pedagogies and the Art of Self-Care, and we are your hosts, Gina Turner and Tom O'Connor. So, ready, set, go. What are we doing? All right, I guess I'm just going to jump into the deep end. Can you swim? Uh-huh. No, I definitely can't. He's so. a good swimmer. <laughs> I can't podcast swim. Oh, well, okay. hello and welcome to Pedagogy A Go-Go, uh, quarantine edition, quadcast, COVID edition. I think we're going to have to find a good name. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Gina Turner, after probably the longest seven months in history. Uh, <laughs> it is really good to see and hear you again, Gina. Likewise, Tom, I'm kind of amazed that we're able to come back to what had been a little, you know, sense of normalcy and doing our podcast once a month. So it's really great to be back. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I am too. And it's kind of a special conversation. I I don't want to call this a special edition, but these are crazy times. And so I think we felt that we needed to have a podcast that was designed to address the times we're living in. So rather than go through kind of our usual format. We're here with uh, two very special guests, Professor of Literature and Food Science, Kelly Allen, who also happens to be our showrunner, and Professor of Literature, uh, who teaches in the medical humanities, as well as some of our developmental uh, literacy classes, Professor Rebecca Rebecca Martin, who also happens to be my wife. (laughs) So welcome to you both and welcome to the show. It's all in the family. (laughs) It's all in the family. Exactly. And and for this first podcast, and we hope to to do two more in the next coming weeks uh, before what is the end of our fall semester, um, this is the Elephant in the Room podcast. We're going to be addressing the pandemic and COVID and and how has it affected our lives academically, uh, in the classroom, and at home. So so we hope that... uh, this conversation is meaningful and that you all find something uh, here of value. Uh, I've talked a lot in this show about, about vulnerability. And uh, this is a moment where I think we, as, uh, as members of this program, can allow ourselves to be more vulnerable um, and talk about how challenging the last couple of months have been uh, and share kind of the stories of strength that are getting us through uh, the, the, the wins that we're having and uh, some of the hills that we've had to climb along the way. Mm-hmm. So we are all trying to muddle through and, you know, one of the ways in which we are muddling is trying to continue our jobs as, as, uh, as academics, as administrators at this community college. And, uh, you know, some of us are struggling, some faculty are struggling as much as the students are. So the first question really is just in general, how are you tackling COVID, the pandemics, social distancing? How is that coming up in your classes? Who wants to go first? Or do I have to call on someone? I'm using a <laughs> teacher voice. <laughs> no, I don't think that. It's like, but like, where do we, where do we even start with that? You know? Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> but yeah, so I, I've got a whole bunch of things that I could certainly unload, but um, I, I, I tend to, to like to go last. So if anyone else would like to get oh, us like going. Oh, you like to go I've, last. Uh, yes, <laughs> See, I thought you were like the go first type. Okay. I'll go. I have no problem with that. I have thoughts. 
<laughs> Lay it on a sister. Um, you know. Becca, but, but, oh, go um, ahead. No, just quickly, uh, just because uh, you're new to the audience and uh, I gave you yeah. a rather brief intro. Um, do you mind just t- telling us a little bit about, you know, um, your role at NCC and who you are first, too? I know, honestly, Thomas, somebody I know, who's I gave married you to me, that shrift. was a very brief description <laughs> um, when there is a lot to go on. <laughs> um, so if you don't know me, um, I'm Rebecca Martin and I teach in the English department. Um and I teach developmental English. I teach women's literature. So I teach in the women's studies program too. And I teach an English too that is focused on the medical humanities. That's what my um, dissertation work was in. And it's actually very timely for COVID because my all of my research and my dissertation was done focusing on um, a, an area of research that really says learning and reading literature is good for medical professionals in their education and in their development as practitioners. And I think every time I watch the news and I see the kind of video logs that doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists are are offering to the news to try to describe their experiences, I mean, those are what I studied. They are their medical literature, their their chaos narrative specifically, which is my specific area of specialization. We get so specific in these long dissertations. But um, chaos narratives are narratives that are told in the middle of um, an event. Um, it can be an illness event. It can be a pandemic. Um, but chaos narratives are kind of defined by the fact that they are in the middle of that experience. They There is no conclusion yet. Um, often they're marked by kind of this feeling of being trapped in the ever present. And certainly I think when I hear people talk about their COVID experiences, they are talking about being trapped in a, in a chaos narrative. And um, I find that funny in some ways um, because that's my area of research. And I see people handling it in the ways that I researched, which is some people like roll up in a ball and they don't want to talk about it. Other people are like, I've got this under control. I'm going to exert as much power over people as I can. Here are my policies. Here's my discipline. This is what we're going to do as though, you know, somehow that's, that's going to right the world. Um, Other people, I think, approach it kind of like, you know, we were talking about before we started recording, which is, you know, how do you answer the question of how are you doing right now? Um, How do you answer the question of, you know, how you're feeling or where you are? And, um, in, in the chaos narrative theory and in my own personal experiences as someone with my own chronic illness, um, you know, often just being present is enough. And I see that with my students to get back to teaching, which is what we we're supposed to be talking about. Um, my students are very comfortable, some of them being in chaos. They have lived lives where they have not been secure, where they have not had a guaranteed safety net where they're very used to feeling a bit out of control. And so COVID has put pressure on them. But in some ways, I think that they had skill sets that others of us did not have coming in. Um, And sometimes in class, when we meet, we just talk about what they're doing and how they're managing. And they kind of want to talk about the people who aren't handling the chaos that well. Um, and they want to talk about the ways that the people who are not handling the chaos well are kind of, um, I don't, are resor- sort of resor- resorting to kind of 
discipline and punish as a way of coping. And they're seeing that in their classrooms. Um, so, so one of the things that I've been thinking about in my classroom in terms of COVID is my policies. Um, are my policies meaningful during COVID? Um, and if they're not meaningful now, and if they're not necessary now, are they necessary? Are they going to be necessary and meaningful post COVID? Um, are my policies rooted in kind of old fashioned ideals of what a student should be that are not productive anymore? Um, and I know there's a lot of students right now who are struggling with faculty who are enforcing policies that for the students feel really just like out to like, is that I've had a student say, is this person's just totally out to lunch? They are not aware of how we're living in the world. And I don't know. I just sort of wonder, I think it <laughs> used to be a badge of courage for academics to be a little out, of, out to lunch, but I do wonder if now mm. COVID has exasperated that and exasperated. Exacerbated. That's the word, Gina. Um, um, There's, yeah, so syllables I can't get in there, but it hasn't done that. And, um, and, and we need to like kind of really seriously look at our pedagogy and really seriously think about the things that we've always just taken for granted. Kelly, you were going to say something. Well, yeah. So, um, so I kind of have a, a question for you, Becca, because like, as you were talking, I was like, I was like, well, hold the phone. Are you talking about like, you know, kind of like reconsidering, um, like reimagining our pedagogy specifically in response to um, to COVID? Or is this something kind of that we maybe should have been thinking about earlier than that? Um, so like you had introduced yourself as a developmental educator and um, and we know that we have um uh, listeners um, who are not um, part of the the, the Northampton Community College um, community, um, or uh, perhaps there's uh, listeners. Actually, I know there's listeners out there who uh, teach at a four-year college or university, so they're not quite familiar with what developmental education is. Um, and so, I know that when I was hired at Northampton um, in 2008, I was hired. To, to teach those courses. And um, as you and I both know, uh, those are classes where we need to really focus on adaptive pedagogies because we're, we're, we're working with individuals that come from a, just a very wide variety of educational backgrounds. Um, and the thing that just always like, just pissed me off uh, when I was teaching those courses was that there was this kind of like idea that, okay, the students have taken these courses and now they're fixed or whatever. And now we can start uh, teaching in, in this like traditional in what we all know now is this very kind of like, you know, white supremacist, like, you know, like colonial, like driven forms of pedagogy within higher ed. Um, and what I'm hoping that happens, and this is kind of like feeding off of what you had said, is what I'm hoping that happens is that people start to realize that, oh, we don't have to do it this way, that what we are doing is actually harmful um, to the, the academic and emotional well-being of our students and also for, for ourselves. Um, so I don't know, it's just 
yeah, to go back to how I started this, like the way that you began um, this conversation, like I had to just keep reminding myself that like you're talking about COVID, but you are also not talking about COVID. So yeah, I think, I think that's a great point, Kelly, is that this experience is just shining such a light on our individual pedagogical philosophies. So Tom, uh, you were going to say something. Ah, oh, I was like three things I wanted to respond to. I, I guess I wanted to return to the idea of rigidity versus adaptability. Uh, Becca, you were talking about the people who use, uh, you know, the, the old Foucauldian discipline and, and punish, right, as, as a means to try to assert order in our lives. Um, and she I'll dropped an F bomb there. Yeah. Well, and like, and so uh, <laughs> if I say discipline and punish, Foucault is coming. <laughs> he's he's going to come up. I, 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 I can't. It's like it's like throwing candy at a kid oh, during Halloween. Man. Um, but I, 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 let me speak really personally, Kelly, you approached me and Gina about doing a show on the pandemic, like five, five months ago, right. In the middle of the summer. And I, and I had to, and I was not able to adapt in that moment. Um, I was not able to, I, I did not feel up to the task of having this conversation, uh, at that time. And I want to be open about that because like, I was angry because I think, People were operating under so much stress, uh, our teachers and students. And in my role, you know, I'd have people calling me with with issues and, and they'd say, you know, well, I'm just dropping these students from my class. Uh, I'm, I'm going to fail everyone. And, and that, that was their response was because they were they were ready to, to kind of to just to give up and be done with it because they had too much sitting on their plate. And so I think we as educators have all had to work on building up our reserves, right? Our capital, our ability to, to adapt. And that was, you know, that was during the summer of, of great transition as we decided how we were going to teach in a COVID world. And one thing we actually haven't addressed is we're all teaching in new formats. Uh, and I'm, you know, many, mm -hmm. uh, and so like I'm teaching, I have a hybrid ground class. I don't know if any, is anyone else here teaching any, anything in person? Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. You are, you are Kelly. And I said, and, and that's a traditional class, but it's a new world. We're sitting in a socially distanced classroom behind masks. My jokes don't land because I don't have my affect. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little deaf in one ear. So, uh, you know, whereas I used to follow who was speaking by their face and their, and their reactions, you know, I have to be like, I heard someone talking in this part of the room. So, you know, I had to readapt to that. And oddly enough, and, and so here's a really positive thing. It's one of the best on-ground experiences I've ever had, N not because of those difficulties, but in some way because of them, because every student had elected to learn in that environment and knew what they were coming for. And whereas this sometimes takes classes and weeks to build camaraderie, like we had that. There was a gratitude in that classroom and eagerness to be here. And I've had in COVID times the best attendance I've ever had in an on-ground class. Comparatively, I'm also teaching what we're calling a blended online which is half the class is asynchronous, half of it's remote, you know, where we, we meet up. And that, that's my, so the on-ground class is English too. The online class is a women and gender studies class. And let me tell you, Zooming at eight in the morning is tough. Like I am, I do not always feel great that I am doing enough as a teacher to engage them because, and they're really honest about it. They're like, I woke up three minutes ago. I'm on my phone. I'm in bed. I'm not going to turn on my camera. 
Um, and so I have to build in into the class incentives, you know, to to engage in a visual way if you're comfortable and then also be understanding. You know, I have a student who's like, I, I have vertigo, so it's helpful for me to not have my camera on or, you know, I don't know the circumstances of I might have students that are living in a house without furniture, you know, or, you know, or 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 have kids. They need to be muted because they have young kids running around. Um, and so like, you know, and then, you know, I'm, I'm, I, Becca had a good laugh at me, you know, nine 30 in the morning after my class is done, I'm also invited into all these people's living rooms. So here I am, uh, a straight white man reading aloud, um, a poem about lesbian desire and sex by Audre Lorde by a black feminist woman. Um, and then I see someone's dad just walking around in the back or back, you know, background of the shot, you know, as we're trying to have... <laughs> A really vulnerable conversation and, and that like a gender studies class is is an area where on ground I felt like I had a really good tool set for creating an environment where everyone trusted each other. And I will tell you that in a Zoom class that I'm recording where other people's family members are listening in, it's really hard to do that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not always successful. And I want to own that lack of success right here and right now for everyone else who's feeling that struggle. Um, and so like, I, I began by talking about vulnerability. This is my attempt to be that, um, because like, I think we're all like exposed nerves as educators. We have never been more vulnerable and teaching has never been hard because many of us have been teaching 10, 15, 20 years. We were like, we got this. And all of a sudden the, the field around us just changed. Mm -hmm. it, it's so true. Um, and as I listen to what the three of you were saying, I mean, I, I have to just pick up on something everyone said, you know, Rebecca was talking about how we really have to think about what are these boundaries and structures that we're building into our classrooms in, in this environment and what are we going to carry forward? And then of course, you know, what Tom was saying just about the online blended, but I have to say, I've discovered that I love online blended, which I would have never guessed in a million years, because as you described, um, half of the work is done asynchronously. So they do it on their own time. And then the other half is a once a week meeting for an hour and 15 minutes. I also have an 8 a.m. class. And sometimes my voice is so croaky because I haven't spoken to another soul that morning. Uh, I have to drink lots of tea while I'm teaching the class. But in letting go of so many of my expectations that I had in my on-ground class, I feel like I've created a space in the online blended where what i actually want the kernel of what I actually want to happen is happening. So in when in my on ground classes, I have index cards that I hand out at the beginning of class and we do a, a one question quiz at the beginning of the class. And then I have my handouts for the discussions and I have my handouts for the demonstrations that they're going to do together. And they work. And when I was planning for the semester, I turned to my husband, I said, what am I going to do about handouts? <laughs> and I realized I don't need handouts. <laughs> There's no reason for me to have paper handouts. I don't need mm -hmm. these index cards. So we still start with a question, which is kind of the icebreaker. And part of the reason I used to do that in on-ground classes is to, to encourage them to be there on time because they earned a couple of points for being there. I, I stole that idea from another professor and I, I love it. It works really well. But because it is less disruptive to come in to an online version of the class, people drifting in a little late 
doesn't bother me, which then shows how much of it just, it was a personal irrational bias that I had, not irrational, but it was a personal bias that I had about um, getting to class on time. And of course, you know, then that I find out later it's because their connection was weak or because they had to do it. They have to do it in the break room from work, et cetera, et cetera, because everybody's schedules are crazy. Um, And so the, it's it's very interactive. You know, I have the students answering questions and raising their hands and putting them in small groups and then the groups report out. And like you, Tom, I feel like the attendance has been phenomenal. I've had really good attendance in these three classes that I'm teaching. So, you know, it, it's I don't want to call it a silver lining because we are in the middle of chaos, but at least it is showing me personally things that I will carry forward when I teach Mm -hmm. in the future and let go a lot of the things that I felt were so, so important. So we've really been talking about how COVID has impacted us as teachers. And Rebecca, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, talking about it in class, but I'm wondering if you've brought it in almost as a, you know, a content for your class. Are are any of you using the, the virus or the, the pandemic and social distancing as content in your classes? And if so, how? One of the things that, I don't know if this is directly related to COVID or not, but um, it's sort of, there's so many massive things happening in our culture right now and country that it's, they're all coming into the classroom at the same time. And um, I do think that, um, I think there can be silver linings in chaos, and I think it's important to grab those when you find them. Um, my students love the blended online. They are all hopeful that it sticks around, that they have that option, that they don't have to do fully asynchronous online, that there are blended online. Um, because I think, you know, when we say that, um, you know, this idea that in massive shifting times, you do kind of invent new ways of approaching things that you wouldn't have otherwise because you're destabilized. And then suddenly you have to find a way to restabilize yourself. Um, but we we read um, the short story Everyday Use by, with Alice, by Alice Walker um, in my 151 class. And um, we had one of the most meaningful conversations about the impact of education um, and class um, that I have ever had with a group, um, they wanted to talk about. So the premise of the story is that, um, there's a mom and two daughters. Uh, the one daughter goes off to get an education. She comes back and, um, to see her mom and her sister. And she has been changed by that experience. And Alice Walker is interesting because she, she makes D who's the sister who's gone away. Not that likable. Um, she's got a lot of things about her that are, abrasive um and the other daughter maggie the other sister is um she's quiet and um she's been burned in a fire and she's like sort of keeps to herself but she's learned the old ways of living and so the story really sets up this distinction between what happens when you go off and get educated versus if you've stayed at home and the values of both sides of that conversation and my students really wanted to talk about they're sitting in their homes many of them with parents who don't understand why they're going to college um, or parents who didn't give them a choice about going to college, right? It's like a spectrum. And they wanted to talk really specifically about their decision to continue going to college this semester. Um, And they wanted to talk about 
you know, last semester was a dumpster fire. <laughs> and I'm like, I hear you. We all <laughs> felt that, you know, and, and then they talked about like this, uh, this just transition online and it was really quick and people didn't know how to do it. And, and that they over the summer really thought a lot about, do I want to go back to college this in this in the fall? Do I want to invest my time and money there? Is the investment going to be worth it because we're going to be online? And do I even like online? And will online work? And what am I going to get from it? And the story allowed them a place to talk about that decision. And I, I don't know about any about you guys, but when I did mid semester reporting and I sent emails to the students I hadn't heard from. I got a lot of, I got a couple of responses from students who said, "Thank you so much for reaching out. I almost gave up last week. I almost stopped because I and they all they have a lot of good reasons why they almost stopped. Um, and some of them, but many of them, two or three of them said, "I really appreciate that you still think I can do it. And the fact that you still think I can do it makes me think that I can still do it." And they, they've invested this money and they've already invested time. And just getting a note from me saying, we still have time for you to make up this work. We'll talk about what you can focus on. Past, certain past assignments are more important than others. And, and that was a pedagogical move on my part that even though I would say I am one of the most adaptive teachers, um, I pride myself on it. Um, and Kelly's right with that dev developmental education background. You have to be on your toes constantly. It's one of the reasons I love teaching dev ed. You have absolutely no idea what you're going to see every day in the classroom. And for some people, that would be terrifying. Um, for me, it makes me feel invigorated. Um, but, you know, one of the things I had to really think about with my curriculum and my pedagogical kind of approach this semester is, you know, what assignments do I value the most, um, which ones are not as valuable. Um, and if they're not as valuable, why am I having students do them? And why am I grading them? Mm -hmm. um, because the grading load, I don't know about you guys, but like my, my FaceTime with students has gone down, but my grading load has increased exponentially. Um, and so there's this kind of question of like, am I giving them meaningful assignments? And if they fall behind, are those assignments still meaningful? And should they still um, invest that time in them? Um, because the, and this is kind of the long-winded way around to what I wanted to say, but our students' investment in education is their entire future. For us, it's another class we're teaching. We already have our educations. We have MAs and BAs and PhDs and all those things behind our name. And I think sometimes like I got my master's and nobody made a big deal out of it in my family. I got my PhD and nobody made a big deal out of it. But like, that's the kind of family I came from. They blow, They were like, yeah, that's expected of you. Of mm. course you're going to do that. And and I have to always remind myself that every single email I send out just touching base and saying, we can still, you can still do this. I'm going to work with you to do this. That is the difference between them transforming their own lives and potentially their family's lives or giving up and stopping and believing that that this is not for them that education is not for them and that that is always on the table when we teach but i feel like during coronavirus there's just so much extra pressure they're working so much more finances are so much like tighter 
the economic implications of this coronavirus are so so crazy the the health insurance aspects of it that they have a lot of other things that are clearly much more important i think in a lot of ways than like the readings that we're doing in my class and yet they're still willing to invest in what we're doing and i just find that first of all inspiring but also it makes me really think about the fact that like am i tired is there a lot of grading absolutely is it worth it to take a little extra time to grade that late assignment and give that student that chance that I otherwise would have closed the door on? Hell yeah. I mean, like when we talk about the actual costs, like my 25 minutes is not worth a penny compared to what that could potentially mean for their future. And I mm -hmm. don't want to lose track of that because one of the things I, I see happening with the burnout that's happening in faculty um, one of the stages of burnout is depersonalization and um, where suddenly the people that you are serving and you are you're working with, you have to kind of not see them as full people anymore um, because you are exhausted emotionally. You feel like you aren't making any progress. And so you depersonalize from them in the world. Like we have to double and triple down and and remember what we're here to do and remember what doors we are keeping open and honest to God, like stand in that doorway, holding that door open for as long as it takes. Because the, I mean, this is, this is so much bigger than us being tired and burned out. And, um, I don't know. Coronavirus has just made me realize that even more. I can <laughs> keep going, but I won't. Yeah. Well, can I, I just want to, can we, like, for the purposes of this show and every person listening to this, uh, to Pedagogy Go Go right now, let this be the pay it forward moment. Um, tell your students, if you yourself are an educator, that they can do this, that you're going to help them support them. They need to hear it. I'm just going to say in the last 48 hours, one of my students is in the hospital being induced and having a baby. And one of my best friend's students is in the hospital because she tried to end her own life. Um, you know, because of the stresses that she was under. Um, we don't necessarily know the stresses our students are, are under and giving a moment of our time to them, whether it's taking that time to grade that extra assignment or just to send that word of encouragement, I think is more, more important now in this moment than any other time and does more great good than we probably realize. Hmm. Kelly, um, you and yeah, go ahead. Um, thanks, Gina. Um, and like, I'm realizing like, uh, so like listening uh, to you, Becca, like it's reminding me like how long it's been since you and I like got to sit down and talk shop. So we got to. You don't come to cluster anymore. You're Because I'm not in that cluster anymore. So I'm, I've, I've moved from the, from my, you know, literature and, and writing roots to now I'm being kind of shuffled over to social sciences because that's where kind of food studies lives. But um, I miss you terribly, darling. Um, but anywho, so uh, there's a couple things, though, that, um, again, that you're saying here that's got me, you know, thinking these like kind of other thoughts. That's some deep stuff for us here on the podcast. <laughs> but um, anywho, so like before when you're talking about like, you know, like what assignments um, do, are we realizing that like, okay, we really don't need those anymore. Like, I think that is something that's really healthy for us to, to, to sit down and spend some time with and figure out like, okay, so why aren't those 
like assignments relevant for this course? Why had I been teaching them in the past? Like what kind of like what had been influencing my decision making to to actually like put that down on the paper and then ask my students to do this? Um, so like I think that this is a wonderful time for for that reimagination of how it is that we teach. So for for the class that I'm working with right now, um, so like Gina, when you said, you know, who's bringing COVID into the class, um, like I'm not necessarily doing that, but like there's a lot of activism that is very visible in our country. Um, and that's something that I'm bringing into my course. So it's a, um, it's a humanities course that focuses on uh, an investigation of um, of our cultural relationship with the environment. So we're spending the whole time talking about environmental activism. Um, but kind of in how this is uh, building off of what you had said, Becca, about our assignments, like I'm not doing traditional like papers or like, you know, research essays. We're doing most of our work on Instagram because like I had to stop and think, it's like, well, wait a minute, when, when our students, like, yes, our students need to know how, like, the academic essay works because that is a genre how, where, um, within the academic world, where ideas are are untangled, uh, reshaped, new knowledge is made. But after a vast majority of our students are completed with their college education, that's not how they're going to communicate with with the rest of the world. Um, they're communicating with the rest of the world through text messages, through um, through emails, but they're also doing it through social media. Um, now, I'm a big fan of Instagram because um, of kind of like, you know, hashtag activism. But I also like to stay away from Facebook just because I think it's just so polluted. Um, and then I don't do Twitter because I don't know how. But anyway, so but like <laughs> what this has allowed me to do is... Um, just kind of like really stop and rethink like, why is it that I'm doing these things that I do? Like what value are my students really getting from not so much like addressing the content, but like what relationships am I asking my students to have with this content? But I'll tell you one thing that's been like friggin' phenomenal is that all of a sudden a majority of our class happens on our phones. Um, and it's just been absolutely delightful. So like I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling through stuff and like I'm seeing stuff from some of my farmer friends and uh, some of my activist uh, groups that I follow. And then, and then a student's assignment scrolls through like, cause they're working on stuff and it's just, it feels really good. But um, so like, that's the first thing. Um, and I'm, and, being totally mindful of time here, but um, that's the first thing that you kind of got me thinking about. And then the other is with late work. Um, that's something that I still struggle with. And I'd love to hear like what the rest of you um, think about this because late work, like while it is something that we kind of had to manage uh, prior to uh, the pandemic, it's something that is really kind of like rearing its head now. And like, I have two policies in my class, no late and no hate. Um, and the lateness kind of speaks back to what you were saying earlier, Gina, about, you know, being late to class. But then also like I had a very strict no late 
assignments policy. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm not being adaptive, but like, I don't understand like late work because like the way I shape my assignments is they do something so that they build knowledge for the next part of the class. So if they're doing something that addresses um, an idea or a skill that was addressed in week three, but they're turning it in on week 15, like what happened in those, in those 12 weeks? Like something is missing there for me. Can I offer? Oh, sorry. Sure. Go ahead. I want to, and this is sort of a different, so this is how I look at late work. Um, And it's sort of a, so, so as I've shared in the, before I have a chronic illness that um, is, makes me um, in greater and lesser degrees um, functional day to day. And um, that means, so, so I have set myself up with a grading schedule where I sort of need to be grading every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think of my policies for lateness and work on time as assuming that a student is able to perform at the same ability every week throughout the semester. And the reason I do not hold them to that standard is because I myself cannot live up to that standard. I have days where I get migraines and I cannot function. Um, I can't grade. And so I, and I, I talk to my students about this. I'm very transparent with them about, about my chronic illness. And it's actually, it's been a, it's been an, an amazing tool to get them to talk to me um, and to sort of understand that we all struggle, but we all also need to be responsible too. And that, that very careful line. So I recognize that I can't just blow off and not grade anything for them until the last week of the semester. And um, and in that same way, I would ask for them to not hold off and do none of their work until the last week of the semester. Um, but I am also cognizant of the fact that we are not equally present and able to complete work and be a good worker in equal measures every single day of every single week. And so I always talk to them about how, you know, th- there are going to be times when they're going to get their first papers graded and back to them within a week. And there are going to be other times where I'm going to be saying, I'm so sorry, guys, I had a lot of grading. I had two days where I was completely off. So I'm trying to catch up on days when I feel better. And I'm very transparent with them about that time management process and how it impacts my livelihood with my my work, but also trying to be transparent with them about how they need to be thinking about that with themselves too, because whether they might not have illnesses like I do, but they have kids and they have um, jobs. And so that constant maintenance of our time management, I think is, is really important to consider because I feel like a lot of our policies are based in ideas that we are all well and functioning equally throughout the semester. And I loved that coronavirus made us say, hey, we might have students who get sick. And if they get sick, we can't fail them because they got coronavirus and we're out for two weeks. We need to be adaptable and find a way to allow them to be sick, but then to recover, recover mm-hmm. physically mm-hmm. for them, but also in terms of our class. And um, I totally hear what you're saying in terms of like, you know, not letting things slide until the very end and because it's not manageable for any of us. But at the same time, 
for me personally, when I hear about zero late policy, like zero late, there's no such thing as late. I can't live up to that standard. And so I couldn't possibly ask them to. Um, I have asked for extensions on reports to Christine. I have asked colleagues to move appointments because I've been ill. Like, and and because they respect me as a professional, nobody makes a big deal out of it. And so I talk to my students about the fact that like, you have to set a standard for yourself for sure. And you have to show your um, colleagues and friends that you are that you are careful and thoughtful and want to be present. But there are going to be times where we all falter and we all need a little bit of room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel like there's a really careful balance there. Um, there was this great article called Your Attendance Policy is Ableist AF, which I don't know if I can say those words on CBS. Anyway, um, but <laughs> but it was talking- Ableist as freak. That's right. Mm-hmm. That Anglo-Saxon word. Um, but yeah, because- there is this sense that people are are able to, and it's so capitalist. I, I, I it's like so. Ca- it's like you must come to work and pop in at this time and punch your Becky, card. Did and you then- just call Kelly part of the capitalist machinery that he indicted earlier in the program? That's cold. <laughs> that is so, ice cold. So I want to jump in on because before I forget, so <laughs> so Rebecca, the, because I partly need to jump in because I am an absolutely no late assignments person, and I will I will die on that flag or whatever the metaphor is. Hill. Hill, thank you. <laughs> I will put a flag on the hill and then die on it. Um, <laughs> but um, and Kelly and I were talking about this, and I was also hoping Kelly would mention his um, his labor contract model mm-hmm. that he uses for okay. his class. But for me, um, be, and and I think what this highlights is that it's okay if each one of us operates differently in the classroom. That's okay because we mm-hmm. all have to find the model that works the best for us. So for me, I am a structure person, but I'm also a person who, if you if you want to meet me halfway, I will meet you three quarters of the way. But they have to meet me halfway. So I don't accept any late work. But Even if they come to you beforehand, Gina? Well, let me, say, finish, let me finish oh, yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So, and there are two ways that, that, I, that that is workable for me. The first is that I build in a couple of extra assignments, and they're always toward the end of the the semester. And I then throw them a few other little bones of extra credit, not a lot. It probably all of it together doesn't add up to more than 10%, but it allows them to, to make up points from missed assignments earlier in the semester. And the other thing, Tom, is that I, in my syllabus in big, bold letters, it says, if you anticipate a problem, get in touch with me 24 hours in advance is all I ask. And I will give you whatever extensions you ask for. And so that's what I mean is if I, if they meet me, you know, if they meet me, 20% 20% of the way, I'll meet him 80% of the way. And so I, think I wouldn't you, call that zero tolerance. So I, I, I well, it's, like, it, I mean, it's, it is zero tolerance. If they come to me the day, you know, a minute after it's due, I'm not going to accept it. Right, it's I'm for not. my own, it's for my own sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to pick up on just quickly was um, what, oh yeah. And I asked Kelly to talk about the, the labor contract as well. But I, I was thinking earlier when Rebecca was pointing out that her research area was narrative and chaos narrative and medical narratives. And I always feel incredibly lucky that I, my area of um, focus in psychology was about physical health and how people cope with it. So all the psychology around physical health. So for me, 
this is like, I, this is what I'm teaching is how people learn coping. Even, even in my cognitive class, we can still talk about coping in an era of, of pandemic and coronavirus and all the other things that are going on right now. So, um, so it's pretty easy for me to bring the content into my class, but also the process, which is sort of what Kelly was talking about. It does build from week to week. And so what I've been finding is I have a couple of the extra credit options have been go to the peace conference. So for those listening who aren't familiar with this, NCC has an annual um, multi-day conference where it has a theme. And this year's theme was real theme was really around social justice, racial, racial justice and uh, the election and voting. And so I said, if you go to sessions and write me up something that struck your fancy or interested you, write me a short email, I'll give you 10 points of extra credit. And then uh, when they did that, because I'm teaching two sections of research methods, I said, so now turn this into your research project. So then, you know, get it. So they're dealing with what is actually what they're actually really interested in because their emails were like, oh, I never knew this. And this was so interesting. And so I'm not saying I'm inventing, reinventing the wheel at all, but it's it's the idea that if there are these stages that they have to work toward, get them to pick things that grab their attention. Mm-hmm. And that seems to help them to stay focused on the, on the project. Um, so Kelly, did you want to talk about, since I've now mentioned it three times, did you want to talk about the later labor contract? I love this idea so much. Um, I suppose so. And I think it's something that, well, I know that's something that has been, um, uh, that I've brought with me from my days as a developmental educator. Um, and, I and, and Becca, I love that you you kind of you know threw in the the dreaded C word capitalist because um, yeah, like the, a point based system is capitalist um, and like in the kind of like rigid kind of like calendar structure that we build our uh, semesters on is capitalist. So um, I guess I should have given you some. Uh, God, I feel like I'm defending myself and I know I don't need to do that in this setting, but um, that's not how the class is set up. Um, so I work on a, on, on a labor contract where there are no grades throughout the semester. So like when, when there's some, when, when there's a task that is due um, like that task needs to be done so that we can keep building the rest of the semester. And if a student is present for that task or not, um, is, is really up to them, but like, they're not going to, you know, to go back to Gina's metaphor, they're not going to die on any hill. Um, cause like, that's just like, that'd be a real jerk move on my part. Um, so, but back when I was, you know, still like, you know, just afraid to move away from the, the point system, um, I would say it's like, okay, to, to get a 100% in this class, you would have to, accumulate 1000 points over the course of the semester. But I have enough assignments here that you could hypothetically earn 1250 points. So like if they missed like the midterm, they could still get an A in the class, which I know that some of my colleagues would probably like just like freak out about it. But um, but like even so, like I found that there's a whole lot of like subjectivity um, that was kind of immersed in that whole grading system that I have never felt comfortable with. And 
back when I was teaching developmental education, um, what I would do is uh, like, it was just like based on feedback. It's like, you do work, you turn in work and then I'm going to give you feedback. And then that's how we're going to learn. And then at the end of the semester, you're going to put together this portfolio where you show me what you learned. Mm -hmm. And then we'll sit down. It's like, okay, is this like something that you feel comfortable like doing English one work with? And then let's have a conversation about that. Um, But this semester, I just went like just full in on the labor contract. And it's, it's been wonderful. Now, granted, like students have a, uh, a really hard time with, um, with kind of believing me. Like, so they turn in something. They're like, okay, so I turn that in. And so like, we're good. And I'm like, yeah, we're totally good. And then I would give them feedback and then it'd be like, oh gosh, okay, I'm sorry. So when can I turn this back in? It's like, no, no, you don't need to. Like you did the labor, you're learning. So we're going to keep moving on here. Um, so like that whole experience has just been absolutely lovely. And if I can uh, put something together that can be shared on the podcast website, I'll, I'll do that. But um, the reason why I went like just 100% all in with no grading this semester was because I was thinking about the, the mental and academic health of our students. Um, so like how effing stressful is it for our students during grading time? Like if you look at your um, at your roster uh, in, in past semesters, you see that gr- uh, weeks three through week five is like this this academic black hole. Like that's when most students will just like drop off the face of the earth. And I always uh, share with my students, it's like, yeah, the first couple of weeks, it's hard to find parking. Just wait until after week three, you know, week five, there's parking galore. Because what happens is like by week three to week five, that's when the first major assignment has been submitted, collected and returned. And then that's when students who are like, yeah, I was like an A or a B student in high school. They're like, whoa, this isn't high school anymore. And then they start to like freak out. And what I want to do is I want to alleviate that stress where I just say to them, it's like, you just got to turn this thing in. So like kind of going back to defend myself, though, like. If, if, if a student can't just turn it in, like, then like there, there's something else that we need to look at there. But also like, if they, like, if they're not turning in anything over four weeks, like, and I'm very sympathetic to, to, you know, to chronic illnesses and just like life stuff. Like, so we haven't even talked about what it's like to be a parent during this time. So I know of the four of us that I'm the, 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 the parent here. Um, I'm not the parent of you, obviously, <laughs> but, um, cause holy, like I want to cuss, but yeah, as you said that this is not that kind of thing. Like I am just effing sick and tired of like the narrative being focused on like just our students only and us being adaptable for our students. Like I love, our students. Um, I tell them that every day, like when they come into class, when they leave, it's like, all right, love you. Bye. Um, okay. And then Gina says that she needs to say something. Um, well, no, I think we're both. And so like, actually there's a beautiful pivot Kelly on what you're talking about. That's something that we wanted to also talk about. And okay. I, and it's, and it's so important actually, because um, you're talking, you began by talking about 
the mental health and wellness of your mm-hmm. students and how you're kind of horse of a different color form of assessment, which is very Black Mountain College back in the day. And this idea of project-based grade lists, a different form of assessment. Your assessment isn't a grade. It's the feedback I'm giving you as a means of, of building in a different form of engagement with the class, which I, which I think is awesome. And, and I think that there's, and I'm going to try, I want to bring a little bit of COVID in here because we, we, we've been talking about the stress our students are under and how we need to adapt to that. And I agree, Kelly, that we also need to be talking about the stress that we are under. And uh, I want to ask Gina first, actually, as our resident yogi, but like, what are mm-hmm. we, because for the, for the people listening, I think it's really important that you should, I want them to come away from this with things that they themselves can be doing for their own work-life balance, for their own mental wellness, their own self-preservation in these kind of fraught times. And like, let me ask you, like, and I'm someone who I am, I'm going to just curse. I'm when it comes to self-care and they can bleep it out in post. Thank you, Jeff. Um, <laughs> like I, I am not like I, I was under so much stress over the summer as a, as an administrator trying to convert 80% of our classes into remote um, that I cracked a back molar because I was grinding my teeth so badly at night. Like I have to learn to process and deal with my stress. And these are like the most stressful times ever. I'm glad so, this is on record. Yeah, it is on record. So hold, <laughs> hold me to account and I'll go last and I'll share the things that I am trying. And Becca watches me try and is witness to my failure to do to improve my own mental be- mental wellness and sanity. So Gina, Yogi, what are what are you doing in COVID times at home to deal with the stress of of teaching in these times, as well as just the general stress? I think we're all living because these are ups, we're in the upside down. Well, I'll tell you, I'm glad you're starting with me because of the way I'm going to frame my answer. But I I do want to share with um, all of you this quote that I ran across. I, I think someone put it on their Facebook page or something by Audre Lorde, who I think we already mentioned in in the podcast earlier spoke about i was reading her poem love poem that's right yeah um and so the quote is caring for myself is not self-indulgence it is self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare and i just found that so powerful because i think a lot of people feel guilty or feel that self-care is frivolous in some way um but you know and and people use that old cliche that first you have to put on your own mask on the airplane before you can help someone else with their mask. Um, But the bottom line is we all, I mean, similar to what we were saying before, we all have our boundaries. We all have what, what we need in the classroom. We were talking about that earlier. And we all have um, a certain amount of energy that we're able to expend on any one thing. And if we have multiple things asking us for energy at the same time, then that energy has to be split somehow. So Um, And so by keeping ourselves um, healthy as best we can, then we can continue to do the work without grinding our teeth down to the nub or or having sleepless nights or, you know, name it. Um, So I said I was going to frame the question for me. So for me personally, I am very much the sort of person who um, needs a lot of structure in my life, but also because I have been so incredibly stressed with the uncertainty of what's going on in the world, I, I need to focus it on, on concrete activities in and outside of my, my work life. Um, I don't know if this is really answering your question, Tom, but um, <laughs> so um Sorry, I just have to laugh at Kelly. You did not get loud and angry. I don't know why. 
<laughs> no, and it's great. Why would you apologize for that? Jeez. For, for it's white man syndrome. Can't see it. So. This is, you know, since we're, we're looking at each other over Zoom right now while recording elsewhere with different software. So there is the chat going on. Uh, in the- so I'm. So anyway, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the things that we all know because they're, you know, again, breathe and stretch and get some exercise and eat healthy. All right. Like we all know that it's nonsense, but find something that gives, it's not nonsense, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it would be nonsense for me to leave my answer at that. So for me, it's find the silver linings in what is going on. You know, in in the fact that we are being challenged as, as professors and it's going to make us better professors in, in, in the future. Um, I will just say as a side note, because um, I've, I've ha- I have a temporary position I've taken on now at the college where I'm dealing with the diversity related issues on the campus. And that has given me such a fantastic way to focus all of my anxiety, all of my anger, all of my sadness around all of the social justice issues that have been bubbling up all year. Um, you know, finding pleasure in your life, whatever that means to you. I have reread so many books that I love this summer, rather than seeking out new things to read, I've revisited old favorites, right? So everybody's self-preservation and everybody's self-care is going to be very, is going to be unique to them, right? It's going to be very specific to them. Um, But don't look at it as, um, frivolous or coddling or, you know, that, that you're not tough enough to handle it. Because again, we, we are, we are beings that need sustenance and we are beings that need rest and we need to take that seriously. So that's Mm -hmm. my answer. That's great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that you're reading old comfort books. I do the same thing. Yeah. Becca Becca knows where my go-tos are. It's usually cheap urban fantasy and I can lose myself in poor prose and fun action. (laughs) (laughs) That's important. That's really important. You're so dirty. And and Eugenia, one of the things I wanted to, in thinking about self-care, like what I, I think that we all, like getting back to your point about doing in the classroom, what we need to do for ourselves. Like when, when you say like, I will die on the mountain for, of this or die on the hill for this. <laughs> what I hear is that is integral to my, to sustaining me through this. Absolutely. Like, and that your needs are important in the classroom. And and I, I was trying, maybe I didn't come and like, I try to be really transparent with my students about my own needs. So like when you say I need some structure guys, like I need to, I need your assignments in so that I can grade them because that's part of what's keeping me kind of anchored here and sustaining me through the semester. Like that should be as respected by them. And I find that our students are incredibly respectful of that when, when you say it to them like that, when, and I feel like this is part of what we've been getting at with classroom policies. When we can talk about why they're necessary, like why the, what the logic is to it, then suddenly they don't, they're not just these like amorphous things that we're enacting on students. They make sense to them. Oh, right. So that policy is in place because you're going to burn out by week eight. And I understand that. I can understand burnout. And so suddenly then we're partners in this journey through class and not so much like I'm telling you how to do X because that's just the way it's going to be. And I, I don't know. I, I love that. And that's what I heard in what you were saying so that's, much so. 
That's it. Just really quickly. That's exactly right, Rebecca. And I always tell my students on the first day that every professor is like a different boss. And how many of you have had crazy bosses? But every professor is going to have their own expectations and their own needs for what they need to happen in the class. And I tell them exactly what you said. I say, for me, I just, it just, just, it would be too much for me to keep track of late assignments. It just doesn't work for me. And that's why I've built the class this way. So yeah, being, you know, Tom mentioned vulnerability. So being honest and vulnerable with your students. Absolutely. But I, I, I would, oh, Go ahead. Sorry, no, go ahead. I just think some fact. I, I, I want to advocate for everyone listening to this to think about that in their policies. Like one of the most transformative moments I've I ever had in the classroom was when a student in the back of the room. I was teaching at Albright in my adult in the in the adult completion program, and I'm like rattling off about thesis statements, right? Because I just taught at Lehigh, and everybody there knew what a thesis statement was. I didn't have to explain it. Student in the back loudly says, I have no idea what you're talking about, lady. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, it was this moment. And then she's asking me good questions, follow-ups. Like, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? What does that mean? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm grading her on something I can't explain to her. Like, how messed up is that? And so I think that as it, as educators, um, we we do, like if we have logic and reasoning behind the policies that we put in place, it's really easy to explain to students and why we're doing it. There's, it's transparent. And I think that the coronavirus has made us recognize that we, we need to think through those things. So if we have a policy in place that we just stick to because, I don't know, because that's what academic rigor is, but we can't explain it more than that, then that should be something we maybe need to like interrogate a bit for ourselves. Like, is that what it means to me? Um, so anyway, that's just, I just think that's so useful in like thinking through our own policies. Like we absolutely can differ on those, but we also have to have reasons behind them. So Becca, I've written what I think you're going to answer. So what is, you know, you're not getting out of the self-care question. So what is, what is something you're doing, um, that I know or not that you're doing for self-care through these COVID times teaching at home? Yeah. So self-care for me is I have a body that if I don't do self-care, I, it will just stop working. And then I, then I can't like function. I can't do the things that I enjoy. So um, self-care has like become, like I have to listen to it. So, okay. So my self-care things, some of them are healthy. Some of them are not. I buy antique jewelry on eBay a lot. Oh, groan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or at least I browse on it. You you buy what? Oh my God. Antique and jewelry on ebay oh, oh okay i'm sorry oh, i didn't God, i love if, it if so i'm shown one more ring on ebay tom gets to see them all but um you know i feel like my self-care is very much rooted in um taking care of what needs to be um addressed in the moment so um like if i am in pain then i might address that like it might just be rest and just watching tv that's mindless like the great british baking show I've learned, it's written on paper. It's what I wrote down. I've learned so much about flowers. Um, there's strong flour and all these different kinds of cake flour and bread flour. Um, that is like a go-to for me. I'm revisiting old books that I love, just like Gina is and Tom, because I find them like a warm, fuzzy blanket. We have a lot of warm, fuzzy blankets in our house. We're going very deep into the Hugi or... Huga. That whatever it is. Huga. Um, scented candles, nice baths, like these kinds of like physical things. Um, I also, I think exercise is a good part of self-care and it's hard if you have a body that doesn't 
do things well. So I have a recumbent bike that I've been really enjoying. Um, it's a good way of kind of finishing the stress loop for me. Um, but yeah, those are some, and obviously petting my dogs. <laughs> That's a good one. That's so I, important. Yeah. Kelly, do you have a dog? No, I've got two oh. kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelly, your turn. Um, I haven't figured this out yet. Um, so like doing this <clears throat> podcast is your self. Yes, it is. It, it, it yeah. most certainly is. And I was going to say <laughs> that, you know, and I was hoping to kind of like, you know, kind of, I don't know, get that awe moment, but whatever. Um, oh no, sorry. I stole your thunder. No, no, no. <laughs> you stole, you stole my awe moment. Damn it. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I totally, I haven't figured this out yet. And, um, as you all know, um, I, kind of overpack my life with stuff. Um, and that's, that's my, my fault. And I realized before COVID hit that, um, it's actually kind of like a mental illness for me where like, I feel like I always have to be doing stuff because like, if I stop, then I'm being selfish or something like that. But, um, so yeah, I've, wow, I'm going to get real personal here. So I've started going back to therapy and, you know, talking with someone. So that's kind of helped. Um, but like one of the things that um, I talked with uh, her about last time was, you know, I realized that like, I need to feel good about my body. Um, like that's one of the ways that I can, that, that influences my mental health. You know, I got to make sure that, you know, my wife still thinks that I look sexy. Um, you know, so I need to get outside and I need to be active, but I can't do that because, you know, I'm, I'm teaching, I'm the board chair for our local food co-op. I'm getting a PhD. Um, I'm a parent, I'm a husband, like all these things. And it's like, man, if I could just get 45 minutes each day where I could just like go for a long walk or just like a short jog, like that, that does a lot for my mental health. And like, then I can tolerate any of the bullshit, sorry, Jeff, uh, that, that the world can throw at me. So like, it's like 45 minutes, that's all I need. And then the school year started and my kids, like the, the local school district here, like requires a lot of online learning for our children. And I've got a second grader and a fourth grader all of a sudden, like their kind of mental health is collapsing. Like I walked past our daughter's room like a couple of weeks ago and she's whimpering as she's looking at her laptop and she's just like, dad, I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, and I'm like, what the, sorry, Jeff, what the f And, you know, so like, this is something that, you know, like I can't just be like, well, <laughs> okay, we're all in this together. So we're all going to, no, you can't do that. So like, you know, I have to stop. So now uh, my wife and I, like we each have to spend on average two hours a day working with our children. So like that 45 minutes that I wanted, I don't have. And I just lost an hour and 15 minutes. And this is where I was talking about before, like, you know, when I was on my loud, angry rant about, you know, like we got to focus on each other as well and each other's mental health. Like, because there's so much like, you know, and here's where that capitalism, I think, might be coming in. Uh, where we're focusing on like our students in retention, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we just got to get, you know, our students through these midterms. Yeah, I get that. But okay. Can we stop and also make sure that we get each other through midterms? 
Um, Cause like, that's something that has really been missing from the, the, the greater discourse. Um, so yeah, going back, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm doing my best. Love is, um, love is a radical politic, Kelly. I'm with you. I was it, just teaching second wave feminism rooted in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And I said, I said, guys, they were onto something. Mm-hmm. Loving is radical. Yeah. So I, um, I love that. You're, and I think you're right. Like a, a, Huga is like, so there's a second component. So this is the Nordic, Scandinavian, Danish idea of cozy. It was real big and like 2016, 2017, right after Trump got elected and everyone's like, I need, I need a blank to hold me tight, you know, because Ikea is to... still selling the mats, Tom. So, <laughs> so it's still a thing. So, but like, um, like that's my, that's, as, and so like, I, I think I opened by saying this, that I'm crap at self-care and that like you, Kelly, I feel like I've been losing that. Um, like even when I try, so Hugo was going to be my self-care was that I decided that like, um, that, that, you know, I wanted, to, I was, you know, in quarantine, I, I began some serious cocooning that like, which was, and so like, but that then itself became the opposite of self-care because, and Becca's going to know this because I set myself all these projects. And so like, you know, like I was like, I, I'm going to make our house cozy. So I'm going to pick all these warm colors to put on the walls. And then every weekend I'm painting for 40 hours. <laughs> You know, like it's like epic fail, but then afterwards, and so like, and so like, um, here is my self care, and I'll keep it brief. And since we're clearly going to have that the warning by this podcast that we've that we've cursed in it, although if we decide to bleep these out, I re- I request the Harpo Marks kind of that's a terrible Harpo <laughs> Marks, but I'm, the sound effect is is out there. Um, my self-care is this. It is the opposite of what you're doing, Kelly, in the sense that when you said, I need to look sexy for my wife, Becca's thinking, Tom, let that one go five years ago. Oh, stop. <laughs> That's not what I was thinking. But it is. Like, it is like, and I have, because I've been, like, have you guys heard this word doom scrolling? No. This is like, it's like on your phone reading the news. Because the other thing that happened is I went home for quarantine. And even when I was working, I'd have the news on mute, you know, and closed captioning to waiting for what was the next dumpster fire, right? And like that itself became unhealthy. So I'm, here's my self-care. Every now and again, I'm giving myself a fucking break. And like, I'm recognizing that like, I'm putting the paintbrush down. I'm turning the news off uh, and waiting until the morning until I've collected myself after sleep to do it. Uh, I'm still standing by Huga. I, I, I do like three times a day. I look at Becca and I go, our home is now so beautiful and it makes me feel good. So the, I'm, I'm, I'm t- letting myself know that it's okay, that the work and stress that I caused myself is, is now worth it. And then I'm like laying it down um, and I'm, I'm trying for quiet time. I'm not giving myself, I stress eat. So especially after, you know, 40 minutes of Rachel Maddow, suddenly the, the oven's at 400 as I'm making myself half ham a baguette of a ham and cheese, ham and cheese sandwich. And I'm lactose intolerant. So everyone pays for that decision. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> but so give yourself a break. <laughs> I, yeah. Everybody just give yourself a break. I mean, I think that that's a take home from what we talked about being in the classroom, too, is mm-hmm. students need to give themselves a break. The professors need to give themselves a break. In our personal lives, we need to give ourselves a break. Um, and uh, and so I think we will leave it there and wish that all of you listening, if you're still listening, <laughs> can give yourselves a break. And hopefully mm-hmm. we will talk to you again soon.
Oh, we will. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank Thank you, you. Kelly. Thank you, Becca. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Imagine uh, the pedagogy of go-go song is playing in my head right now, uh, but we hope to be back with you in a couple weeks. We want to talk some social justice issues. We want to talk election and politics. Uh, There's a lot going on and a lot to talk about. So we hope you, you come sharing that too. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to Pedagogia Go-Go, recorded in the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology at Northampton Community College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Our podcast daydreamer slash showrunner is Kelly Allen, and Pedagogia Go-Go is produced by Jeff Armstrong. If you've got any questions, please send them to pedagogiagogo at gmail.com. Our social media handle is at pedagogiagogo, and you can stop by our website at www.pedagogiagogo.com for copies of podcast transcripts, guest assignments, and other useful tidbits. Keep in mind there are no hyphens or dots in any of the above web addresses. Until next time, this is Gina and Tom saying, take care and teach well. Thank you.